Good morning. Welcome to the workshop 100 pounders. My name is Betsy. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and an ask it basket with questions. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify who your question is for. And I'll start that around now so it can start to circulate and people can think of questions. The reading is from For Today, page 97. And who would like to read? Okay. I'm pretty loud. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Joellen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Our entire life with our fine moral code and our precious freedom consists ultimately in accepting ourselves as we are. Uh, Jean Anula, I guess. What is self-acceptance? Does it mean accepting my good qualities and rejecting others? No. Self-acceptance means taking myself just as I am and liking all of me with no conditions. I may not like being fat, but that has nothing to do with liking the person that is me. I am not my fat. Nor am I my shyness, or my physical awkwardness, or my straight hair. There is far more to me than any of these characteristics. Even if I were to list every one of my known attributes, it would still not reveal all there is to know about me. For today, it is not a sign of pride, but humility to know that I am unique and beautiful. Thank you. Our first speaker is Scott from San Francisco, who will speak for 25 minutes. Would somebody like to volunteer to time? Okay, thanks, Chris. Scott, tell us, how do you want your time? Um, uh, 10, 5, 2, and 1. Okay. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> You're not a math either. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Reason I went to art school, there was no math requirement. How about this and That's fine, thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Scott. I am a compulsive overeater. I have been in program for a little over two years and four months. I've been abstinent for two years, four months, and a week. I have three uh, through the grace of God and the help of the program, and I have uh, released uh, 180 pounds. Wow. <clears throat> um, before I was going to speak uh, a few days ago, I was talking to my sponsor. Uh, was having, I think, a natural reaction to going and speaking at a convention, a natural reaction for me anyway, which was that, uh, well, I'm just not worthy to go speak at a convention. And, what business do I have getting up in front of people and talking about my recovery? It can't possibly be good enough. I haven't worked hard enough for it. I haven't just, I just haven't done enough. My central character defect, as I've learned from working the sex stuff, is that I am not good enough. And uh, that permeates my very being. Um, anyway, my sponsor told me, he said, uh, 
you have one job when you go and speak. You, you have three sentences. All right. If you say these three sentences, you've done your job and you can sit down. My name is Scott. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been in program for two years and four months. I've been abstinent for two years, four months, and a week. And I've lost 180 pounds. And he said, you can sit down after that if you need to. Because you've said all that you need to to qualify um, and to carry the message. This program works. This program saved my life. This program took me from a place of incomprehensible demoralization and it gave me my life back. Okay? Um, I'm, uh, for the people on the tape, <laughs> I'm 34 years old and I'm 5'10". Right now I weigh about 165 pounds. Um, <clears throat> how to tell my story, uh, I'm going to keep a lot of it, uh, try to keep some of it brief because I want to talk about body image and I want to talk about acceptance and I want to talk about what it's like to be a sensory person, what it's like to lose um, 180 pounds. It's been a profound experience. Um, I was uh, raised in a small town in southern New Mexico. I was uh, considered to be a chubby child my entire life. Um, as I look back at the pictures, I wonder what the big deal was. Um, it really wasn't that bad, all things considered, but people were concerned. Um, I was put on diets and I was run around the uh, pasture at my grandpa's farm trying to you know, run two miles a day and all this kind of stuff. Um, I have the uh, mind of a fat kid. Whether or not I was a fat kid is, uh, you know, that's just a matter of, um, well, that's a pretty subjective idea. But <laughs> I have the mind of a fat kid. When I um, graduated from high school, I was probably 50 pounds overweight. I moved to San Francisco. Um, I went on the art school diet plan, which consisted of coffee and cigarettes and not too much else. And guess what? I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I got down to about 145 pounds, which is pretty freaking cool for me. Um, I was a fat kid all my life, and that's, you know, that is my body image. That's the image that I carry around inside my head, is that I'm a fat kid. Um, it was tremendously exciting to be thin. 145 pounds, 18 years old, in San Francisco, California. Let me tell you what, I had a good time. Um, I'm an addict. I had a hell of a good time. <clears throat> There's very little in this world that I cannot uh, abuse. Um, I don't really know too much about moderation. That's alcohol, cigarettes, uh, and certainly food. <clears throat> so, I was uh, thin for five years. Um, and in that time, I was practicing the other, other sort of diseases, drugs, alcohol. Um, I was a chain smoker for 15 years. I smoked three packs a day. Um, I was trying real hard to kill myself, um, even though I was trying to have fun at the same time. Um, long story short, I got into a relationship. My life got complicated. Um, didn't go well. Um, and uh, the, thing, the forces that drive the disease, the fear, the self-pity, the um, chronic sense that I'm not good enough, that um, nothing I can ever do is going to be good enough, that there is just something fundamentally wrong with me um, as a person. Those forces, the forces of this disease, drove me um, after five years of being thin um, into isolation, and I started to gain weight. I started to use food um, in ways that I really hadn't before. Um, I put, and, and that's when it, you know, and it just snowballed on me. Um, snuck up on me. Uh, one thing that I would say about body image, um, I was thinking this morning, actually, 
that there ought to be another pamphlet in this program called The Tools of the Disease. We have the tools of recovery. Um, the disease has a bigger toolbox than that. We've got eight tools of recovery. The disease is very multifaceted and very powerful. Um, one of the tools that it uses is uh, bad body image. Um, when I uh, gained my first 50 pounds, you know, I was, okay, so I'm 200 pounds, you know. Well, five years later, I would have given you one of my legs if you would let me be 200 pounds again. But the first time I hit 200 pounds, um, I thought it was the end of the world. And I look back on it now, and I was doomed even then, okay? Because for me, as a fat kid with a fat head, um, when I lost that thin, beautiful body, um, I thought I had lost all hope. And I did lose all hope rather quickly. Um, I hated myself for losing that body, um, for letting it slip through my fingers, you know. Um, I always used to say some crazy things, but I would say, you know, I had the keys to the kingdom, you know. I was thin and cool and hanging out with the cool kids and blah, 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 and I let it slip through my fingers. Um, and then I would just beat myself unmercilessly for that sin, for the sin of, of gaining that weight <clears throat> of, um, of abusing my body like that. Um, so at 200 pounds, I was doomed. Um, there was no way that I could stop what I was doing. Um, I tried going on diets. I tried, you know, stopping this stuff. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, detail all of that, but I will say I was never much of a dieter. Dieting requires a level of optimism that I'm not really capable of generating. Um, but uh, every time I tried to put this stuff down um, and lead a clean life, I would go for like two weeks, maybe three weeks, before something would start, you know. Maybe it was the food that brought me back into it. Maybe I had a drink that brought me back into it. Maybe I went and had another cigarette and that brought me back into it. Whatever it was, all those forces would just snowball on me. And before I knew it, there I was again, you know. Um, uh, when I practiced my disease, I, um, um, I don't know, I wasn't... I don't have a lot of like really dramatic, crazy binge stories. It's not the, um, it's really the, the, the consistency of, of it that you have to admire. I um, just consistently ate too much of the wrong thing all the time. Um, it was not uncommon, like five days out of seven, maybe, I would, um, have, you know, I don't know, just eat a lot, you know, eat a, eat a big lunch or whatever, but I always, you know, finish the day with, let's say, a medium pizza, a pint of ice cream, a slice of cheesecake, um, two six-packs of beer, or a fifth of bourbon or something like that. Um, you're going to gain a lot of weight if you do that. Let me tell you why. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't... I, you know, I, I, just thank, I just thank God I didn't have a car. I live in San Francisco. You don't need a car. Um, so I never got to go to the drive-thru. Um, thank God for that, you know. I uh, used to lie in bed and fantasize about taking a taxi cab to Kentucky Fried Chicken, but I had just, just, just enough self-respect not to do that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to jump ahead. It was very unpleasant. I, as I said, I reached 350 pounds, um, and I hated myself. Um, I was ashamed in the world. I was an extremely isolated person. It's another tool of the disease is isolation. Um, I was an extremely isolated person. 
I would go for weeks where the only person that I would talk to was the delivery man, the guys at the liquor store, um, those people. And uh, that went on for, well, it took about, it took about, I don't know, eight years of being in that before something happened. Um, what changed, I did have a spiritual experience. My grandfather, who is very important to me, um, passed away essentially of this disease, not compulsive overeating, but he was an alcoholic and a chronic tobacco user, and um, it killed him. I went home to see him uh, for one last time. I walked in the room. I was 350 pounds. Um, I was my grandfather's only uh, grandchild. I was the apple of his eye. That was the first time in my life that I'd ever seen his face fall when I walked into a room. It had always lit up when I walked into a room, and this time it fell. And that broke my heart, um, that he was going to die with me looking like that. And I'd always thought that I was going to turn it around before he went. I was always going to turn this around, and I couldn't. And so that's what I, and that, that was my lesson as far as willpower and self-will. I made a promise to my grandfather on his deathbed that I would clean up my act. There's no more powerful motivation that I've ever experienced in this life. And it lasted six weeks before I was right back in it. And that told me all I needed to know about step one. And six months later, I found myself in an OA meeting. Um, I didn't like it. Somebody came up to me after the meeting. He had lost 200 pounds. I said, okay, I'll come back. Sounds good. I don't like your praying. I don't like all you goofy people. I don't want to be one of you. I don't want to come to these stupid meetings. I don't like anything that you have to say. These books are stupid. You're ugly. But I like the fact that this dude over here lost 200 pounds. And then, oh, this person over here lost. And yet, dozens of people, I know dozens of people, beautiful people, whose lives have been completely changed and whose lives have been given back to them. So I, um, I jumped into the program pretty quickly. Um, I became abstinent fairly quickly. In my experience with addiction, and of course, you know, I mean, I'd quit smoking cigarettes 30 times. Um, I knew that, that, you know, withdrawal is withdrawal. You know, withdrawal takes whatever it takes. Maybe it's three days, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks. But the physical craving will eventually leave. Then I am left with the psychological craving. Then I'm left with the emotional problems. And there is only one thing that I've experienced that addresses that part of this disease, and that is Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Okay? If you give me an alternative to using these substances, um, I was interested. Okay? What am I going to do when I'm uh, lonely? What am I going to do when I'm angry? What the hell am I going to do when I'm happy <laughs> without these substances? Um, 12 steps in the program of Overeaters Anonymous gave me something else to do. And that's just, it's just as simple as that. Just replacing one thing for another. You know, and if I have to be dependent on these rooms, on these people, thank God. You know, I will take that dependence every day. Um, so, there we go. So, what has it been like? I lost my weight fairly quickly. Um, I dropped the weight in about 16 months. It was a hell of a ride. I will say that, um, you know, I'm a young guy, I'm a man, we lose weight pretty fast uh, when we set our minds to it. Um, I've seen it happen for all kinds of people though. And everybody has a different story, that is my story, okay? Um, I just lost the weight quickly. And I would say that um, 
I don't think I could survive doing that in any other way without Overeaters Anonymous. There's lots of ways in this world um, science has given us them that will take that weight off just as quickly. Um, I don't know how I could survive it though. My, my experience is, is that it's a just psychologically, emotionally crazy thing to go through to change that much and to lose all that weight. It is really hard on you, as good as it is, and it is good. My God, the high from losing all that weight has been really nice, you know, second only to falling in love, um, which I also did in the program. Good Lord. Boy, did I need to work the 12 steps then. Um, life is just, I have no idea how to live life. I need, I need the help of this program to do it. And, you know, that's just, you know, long story short. But um, what can I say, what else can I say about um, uh, body image? That's what we're here to talk about, too. Um, it's absolutely true in my experience that it's an inside job this recovery and in even body image. If I don't uh, love myself, if I don't accept myself, if I'm not doing the work to feel good about myself, it really doesn't matter what I look like. Um, fat, thin, anywhere in between, it doesn't matter unless I'm doing the emotional and spiritual work to love myself and take care of myself. Okay? Um, it's Nice to be 165 pounds. I prefer it to be 350 pounds, okay? I found being that large to be rather humiliating and a very difficult thing to do. Um, and my capacity for self-loathing, my capacity to abuse myself, um, really took advantage of being that big. Um, I thought I deserved to be that big. I thought I deserved to live that way. Um, and I did things in my disease, um, either through eating, through sex, um, through other ways um, of just humiliating myself and abusing myself and um, just taking it out of myself. Um, that is terrible. That it's, like the, it's like I'm trying, I was trying to motivate myself, you know, and that's just no way to motivate. I think that if, you know, if you only come to the room for the love of the fellowship, if that's the only thing you get out of the program, just enough and keep coming back, okay? Um, because you can't, there's just no way that I could have lost this weight and had this recovery if, unless I was working on self-love and self-acceptance, okay? Um, abstinence is an act of love to myself, okay? It's not, it's not a numbers game, it's not what I weigh and measure, or whatever, you know? It's, it's an act of self-love. Do I love myself enough today to abstain from compulsive overeating and to try to live life on life's terms without resorting to the substances? Can I do that today? And, and it's an act of love. And they say, you know, we'll love you until you learn to love yourself. Um, but it's, you've got to learn to love yourself, too. And that's what I've had to do, and that's what I've had to work on. Jeez. Um, uh, it's really good to be here to, to talk about this stuff today. Um, I'm really just glad to be alive. How much time do I have? 
11 minutes? Excellent. Huh? Okay. Um, all right. So, like I say, it's, um, it's a mean disease. I'm going to talk about, uh, talk a little bit about my body. Well, let me talk about my food, actually. A friend of mine in San Francisco started a meeting recently where um, the speaker speaks for 20 minutes um, for the first few minutes, though, the speaker has to talk about step one and what they eat. She wants to hear what you eat. Sometimes we don't talk enough about the food in Overeaters Anonymous. It is odd. It's a threefold disease, and I totally believe in the spiritual side of it and the emotional recovery, but it's also a physical disease, and we're addicted to food, and we need to talk about the food. Um, my food plan is I eat three meals a day. I do not eat um, sugar. I do not eat... Um, uh, refined flour, um, and that's about it. I don't eat caffeine, I don't consume alcohol, and I don't smoke cigarettes. Um, by the way, I gave all that stuff up in the first 30 days of the program. I don't necessarily advise that, but it worked for me. Um, my theory with that is, is, is like it's the Three Stooges theory where you just shove everything through the door all at once, you know, and uh, it doesn't know which way is up, and it all falls over at the same time. Um, but uh, what was my point? Um, I tell you, where was I going with that? The food plan. My, that's my food plan. Anyway, I eat three meals a day, and, and uh, I don't eat sugar, and I don't eat. I don't, I don't have to weigh and measure. I seem to to be able to be honest about you know how much I'm eating, and and stick to uh, pretty good portions. I get regular exercise. Um, I did that from the beginning, slowly, gently. It's not ever my experience with exercise. It was always, I have to run a marathon next week, otherwise I'm never going to lose this weight. Well, for the first six months, and, and, and I had one of those stupid little uh, aerobic trampolines, the little, little round ones that you buy at the, at the um, store, um, and I would run in place on this trampoline because it didn't hurt my knees, you know. Um, I broke two of them. They're only really rated up to 250 pounds, but I broke two of them. I lost the first 100 pounds in the first six months. Just with that, I'd like run in place and turn on the TV for 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and, you know, just build up. Started at 10 or 15 and 20. Um, then I started going to the gym. I hate going to the gym. I hate those people, all right? I was, I was a fat kid. I hated PE. I hated going to the gym. I hated the exercise. I hated hanging out with those people, but I needed it. Because I hit all, I could, I, there's only so much more I could do on the stupid trampoline, so I wanted to go to the gym. I uh, was still, you know, 90 pounds heavier than I am now. I didn't like being the fat guy in the gym, the fat guy in the locker room. Oh, Lord, they're all going to see you, they're all going to look at me, and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know the drill. Um, I had some fear about that. I remember distinctly standing at the bus stop. Um, waiting to go to, this, to the gym for the first time, and I just had all this fear. And I said to myself, um, God, give me the courage to go do this. And a little voice came into my head and said, well, the courage is waiting for you at the gym. <laughs> and so I went. Um, I didn't like being the, the fat guy in the locker room. I went to the store, Bed Bath & Beyond, and I bought the biggest friggin' towel I could find. <laughs> And I wrapped it around myself and I went to the gym. And you know what? It was all right. If um, anybody spends 
as much time obsessing about my body size as I do, they're sicker than I am and I owe them nothing but compassion. <laughs> you know, I loved what um, she had to say at the opening meeting last night about how, you know, if all I'm obsessed with is the size of your butt and the size of my butt, I'm not really a very useful person. Um, it's, uh, you know, body image is, it's a tool of disease. It's just a distraction for me, you know. What am I not looking at? What am I not paying attention? What am I really afraid of? You know, what's the real work that you come from? You know, you, you dig up or by working the steps. What's really behind it? It's just a distraction. My disease telling me, hey, look over here. Worry about this. Hey, worry about this. Worry about how much you're eating. Worry about your body size. Don't worry about, you know, the fear and the self-pity and the loathing and all the character defects that are driving you. Uh, but so physical recovery has been, uh, the, the, the physical aspect has been really great. Um, a big part of my understanding of my higher power came from, from um, physical activity and exercise, actually. Um, as my body came back to life from being 350 pounds, it, um, it was just such a rush. I mean, the feedback that my body was giving me, I'm like, this feels good. I like the fact that I can breathe. Thank you very much. May I please have another? Um, you know, uh, just the thrill of walking half a mile. I remember walking up. I had to walk uphill in Noe Valley to get to my OA meeting. Um, I'd have to stop three times along the way and rest, and I was sweating like a pig when I got there. But uh, I made it, and three weeks later it was different and it felt easier, and it felt better, and all I could do was thank God for that. And I didn't believe in God, but it just, I, there was no other way to, to describe that feeling that I felt in my body coming back to life, you know? And uh, so there's a component of higher power in that physical recovery for me. I feel like, um, you know, the human body is a five million year old design for crying out loud. That's not a power greater than me. I don't know what it is. You know, if I feed my, if I feed my body appropriate amounts of food and give it reasonable amounts of exercise, my body knows what to do. And that's the great thing about the OA program, is that because I'm not on a diet, because I'm just abstinent, I'm abstaining from compulsive overeating, and I'm just trying to eat those three meals a day and live my life in between. I just have to live my life in between, and focus on the steps and focus on the inside work, and my body will take care of itself according to its needs and according to what my higher power wants for me. Um, that's what I love about this, you know. Nobody weighs me, nobody measures me, nobody's checking me out. My body will take care of itself in its own time. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of spiritual and emotional recovery and physical recovery, you know. It's a threefold disease, um, for sure. And, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that I, I strive to work for all three of those things. Um, you know, I made some notes, but let's see, let's see how many of them I, I stuck to. Um, yeah, okay, great. A month ago, I had surgery to correct the loose skin on my body. Um, I've been thinking about that ever since I started losing the weight. Um, you know, it's something that they don't, you don't think about as you're gaining the weight. 
know. You just... <laughs> they don't really tell you that on TV either. You know, it's like everybody just loses the weight and they look marvelous in bathing suits. Well, you know, I had a lot of loose skin. I looked like a deflated balloon. Um, that wasn't impossible to live with. I want to say that. Okay. Um, I, if I had to live the rest of my life with loose baggy skin, but got to be 165 pounds, I'll take it in a minute. No problem. No problem. Um, I didn't hate myself. I wasn't disgusted by it. Um, but I wanted it to go. It felt uncomfortable to me. Um, and it felt to me like a dead zone in a way. It felt like a vestige of the past. It felt like you know, I was a size 32 man in a size 48 suit. And uh, it just, you know, I don't wear baggy clothes and I don't want to wear baggy skin anymore. Um, I had a lot of, uh, you know, I had to, to work on that, though. Is it like, is that the recovered thing to do? Do I just need to pray for more acceptance and not do this? Um, and I went back and forth on that. And I felt that I was coming from a place of self-love to do it. It's definitely an amends um, act for me to be to go ahead and, and correct that. You know, um, if I had a disease that caused big bulgy tumors on my abdomen and I was cured of that disease and still had the big bulgy things, nobody would fault me for having those removed. Um, I think it's the same thing. I was afraid that people in program would shame me for it. Um, nobody has. I've tried like hell to shame myself for it. <laughs> but uh, my sponsor really won't hear anything of that. Um, I'm so glad to have people give me reality checks when the disease starts telling me lies. Um, and just a big lie is or what I really, what I've learned just in the last month is, um, you know, having done this, this thing, um, it brought up a lot of shame. Shame is a big part of this disease and there's something about changing your body that shakes up shame and brings it up to the surface you know um, I mean a big part of the shame is just what I did to myself when I think back to my disease you know and um, and the way that I you know that this disease and I conspired to uh, distort and deform my body the way we did but, uh, you know, I know the only answer for that is self-love and compassion and um, gratitude for the gift that God gave me that I don't have to live that way anymore. And the fact that I get to, to, I get to go to a meeting and when, you know, the next fat, desperate guy walks in the room, that I get to be there for him like that guy was there for me at my first meeting. I get to say, hi, this program works, saved my life. You know, look at my picture. Sorry, I didn't bring my pictures, guys. But, um, so I'm going to wrap up now. And um, uh, I think uh, beyond my first three sentences, I've, I've said a few things that I wanted to say. I'm really glad you all are here. I want to urge you to keep coming back. Um, thanks. Thank you very much.
Okay. Um, hopefully the Ask It Basket is going around and you're filling it up with lots of questions. Our second speaker is Jamal, who will speak for 25 minutes. Compulsive overeater. Hi, how are you? Um, okay, that'd be great. Thanks. Okay. Um, what was I going to talk about? Um, I didn't. When I first was asked to speak at a hundred pounders body image thing, I thought I don't think there's too much for a hundred pounder to say about body image because. I thought that's for anorexic, that's for people who weigh like 80 pounds and they think they weigh 300 pounds. But for me, I looked in the mirror, I thought I was 400 pounds and I was. What's the problem, you know? I don't have an, you know, there's no image problem. Um, but it turns out there is a lot to say. I, let me tell you my statistics. Um, I came into the program 11 years ago, 11 and a half years ago, the fall of 1991, and I was about 400 pounds. I don't know for sure because I didn't weigh myself because most scales in doctor's offices go up to 350. And about a year before I came to OA, I went to a doctor to get my ear checked, and uh, they had to weigh me, of course, before they would look in my ear. And I was... <laughs> I was um, 348 pounds, and then I gained more weight in that time, and I was wearing size 54 pants, and um, so I'm estimating maybe I was 400 pounds. I know I was well over 348 pounds. Maybe I was 375. Maybe I was 400. Maybe I was 399. I don't know. Um, uh, so whatever weight you are when you wear size 54 pants, that's what I was. Um, and... Uh, that's pretty big, and um, I guess, you know, the body image thing comes up when you realize that uh, people, the world treats you differently. I've been every possible weight you can imagine. I see a lot of heads nodding. Um, I've been every possible weight you can imagine, so I know. I'm not making this up. Uh, the world treats you differently. People look at you differently. People think of you differently. People perceive you differently depending on whether you weigh 400 pounds or 173. And um, I, I, um, I went to a retreat. This, the, this story illustrates this idea. Well, I went to a retreat when I was new, like my first year in program. I went to like a men's stag retreat in uh, uh, what's that place called Montecito. And um, um, there was a guy there. He was a, a gay guy. And we would, you know, sit next to each other. I'm, I'm not gay, but he was. And we would sit next to each other for lunch and dinner, you know. And we weren't, like, good friends. We just sort of happened to find ourselves next to each other. And we weren't having a, you know, we weren't hitting it off as buddies or anything. We were just chatting, just passing the time till dinner was over, you know. And, you know, like I said, we weren't nothing, you know, we weren't, we didn't hit it off in any sort of way as friends. And the retreat ended. 
And, uh, you know, he went his way. I went, I went my way. I never saw the guy. I saw the guy after that for a while. And then a few months later, and I had already lost a lot of weight in the program, and, um, I, but I was still sort of, I was, you know, chunky a little bit, maybe a 220 pounds, something like that. And then I lost more weight. I lost maybe 30 or 40 more pounds. And then I saw that guy again. I saw him at Serenity Sunday. And he bumps into me and he looks at me and he goes, Oh, hi! He was all of a sudden very happy to see me, you know, after I had lost 30 more pounds, you know. And, um, and I remember during the retreat, this person wasn't particularly happy to see me, you know, but, but now 30 or 40 pounds later, all of a sudden, oh, hi, you know. Um, and I only bring up that story because it's, it's one of many, of course, but, um, but it's just the most blatant one, and plus it involves a gay guy, so I don't have to talk about women, which I'm too embarrassed to talk about. So, um, um, and, and that is, you know, the, the, the disease that I have had and I had is, is what we call isolation. Like, you know, you always hear people talking about being a part of. Um, like, like, there's something out there that I'm not a part of, that everybody else is a part of, and I'm not. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get in. I don't know where the door is. But I'm not a part of it. You know, that's how I've always felt. I've felt like that since, since you know, first grade. You know, I remember when I was in first grade, the, the other kids in my school were in the playground playing basketball. The school was, I guess, so cheap that they didn't even have a, have a basket. They were throwing the ball over a tree branch. And all these kids were playing together. And I was just kind of sitting there by myself. And I remember the teacher coming up. And I was in first grade. I remember, I remember the teacher coming up and saying, well, don't you want to play with the other boys? I'm thinking, well, not really, no. And I also thought, well, they probably don't want me to play with them anyway, you know. And I'm five years old thinking this, you know. And, and I haven't stopped thinking it since. And, um, uh, and so there's always this, that's a part of my disease, always this feeling that there's, there's this thing out there that I'm not a part of it, you know. And I love that expression, a part of, because there's nothing after the of, you know. That's just we fill that in with our own imagination, you know. We think there's a thing there that we're not a part of, but we've just decided in our heads we're not a part of it. There is nothing after the of to be a part of. That's why the expression is a part of. It stops there, you see. Um, um, but, you know, um, my, my point is that, that I find that that's a cruel, it's a cruel fact. It's a mean world, you know. Um, you know, if, you, if you're with a friend and your friend is thin and you're not, and you meet somebody and the person wants to talk to your friend and not you, you know, that hurts. You know, that doesn't feel good. That, that feels bad. Um, and, and a lot of us have been there, you know. And, um, and it's painful to think that, that you really you really do get treated differently based on how you look, you know. It's very painful to think that. It, it causes a lot of resentment in me to think that just because of the way I look, I don't get treated a certain way, you know. That bugs the hell out of me, you know. And, and, and that, is a, that is a painful, seriously painful emotion, you know. That feeling of being separated from the universe, of being unloved, you know. And... Um, and I think that that's the reason that it's so hard for people to lose weight because 
You, I mean, many of us have done this, right? We can lose weight, but to keep it off is the trick. Why is it the trick? Because, because it's not just a matter of not eating. It's a matter of dealing with that pain that I was talking about, the pain of, of feeling like, like, you know, the world is, is not, that you're not good enough to be in the world or something, you know? Um, and unless I learn to deal with those emotions, unless I learn to deal with that resentment that that causes, then the weight will come back, you know? And I can see that in my daily life, you know? When I start feeling those feelings of pain and isolation and everything, again, I start, you know, it doesn't happen directly, but soon I will start fantasizing about food, you know? It, it, things will occur to me that didn't occur to me. It's like I'll, I'll start to think, there's a Baskin Robbins on the way to where I'm going. Why don't I just stop there, you know? And there's not a direct correlation between my negative feelings and the food, but it, it is there. Once I start getting into those negative feelings, the food, it does pop up, you know? I find new and creative ways of eating things that I hadn't thought of before, you know? Um, and, and this, to me, it's like I see a lot of people come in program and they lose a lot of weight, and I think, okay, the tough part now is dealing with those feelings, you know, dealing with that pain, having that resentment. How do you deal with resentment? How do you deal? The bottom line is, all, you know, all the nonsense notwithstanding and all the, all the words and, and, and books and everything notwithstanding, the, the way to deal with the pain and resentment is to just feel it, you know, not to do anything about it, not to take it out on anybody else, not to eat over it, but to just feel it, you know. And when I came into the program, I was, I was, you know, I had just lost a lot of weight. I was new. And, uh, and that was the new thing to me, you know. It was new. You know, now I've been, like I said, I've been in the program about 11 years. I've had a little more practice at it. And I'm still not that good at it. But I've had more practice with feeling pain, you know. And so when I feel pain, when I feel resentment, when I feel isolation, when I feel left out, when I feel bad, I, I, um, I simply remember that this too shall pass, you know. And when I was new and I just lost a lot of weight and I was feeling all these painful emotions, it, it wasn't easy to think that. It was much easier to just take my resentment out either on myself or somebody else, you know. And um, uh, like I said, I, I've had some practice at it, so now I, I understand what a feeling is a little bit better. I feel a feeling and I think, okay, that's just a feeling. I don't have to eat over this. I don't have to act out on this. This will go away. Maybe I'll do something useful for humanity so that I don't feel so rotten, you know. There's many ways of dealing with it. But um, um, it, it was, a, it was a, a, a real discovery when I first, you know, because when I was, I was pretty much, before I came into the program, I was big my whole life, big being a euphemism for fat. I was... Um, I was overweight pretty much my whole life, and I just kept gaining and gaining weight. And I, you know, I got up to like 400 pounds. And um, I, of course, imagined that if I just lost this weight, everything would be fine. You know, I would be perfect. And I, you know, I would, I was new. I would, I had lost 200 pounds or whatever it is, and I was, I looked great. You know, I looked in the mirror. And I thought, yeah, look at that. You know, and people would, people would tell me, they said, Jamal. Why do you all, every time we pass by a mirror, you just stare at it. Why? People? I'm sure people told me that I kept looking in mirrors. 
And I did because I couldn't believe that was me, you know. I could not. I couldn't believe it. And, um, but like I said, the tough part was yet to come, you know. The realization that, that losing 200 pounds or whatever did not solve all my problems. It didn't fix all of my, my issues. I was still... I was still an addictive, sick person, you know, and and I kept telling myself, okay, just because I'm thin doesn't mean everything's okay. I still have the same brain that I did, you know, a year ago when I was 400 pounds. I still have the same exact mind. And my proof of that was, if you look at uh, AA, if you look at Alcoholics Anonymous, those people, most of them, a lot of them are thin, and they're still, you know, sick. They still need help. So, obviously, being thin isn't the answer. There's obviously... There's obviously something else going on in my head. And, um, you know, to different degrees, I've tried to work on that. But I realize that, you know, the answer is in, the answer is in, in, um, in this program. The answer is in the steps. The answer is in dealing with those feelings. That's how, that's where I've been lately. I've been dealing with this program very much as a, you know, physical, spiritual, emotional, and I've been dealing with it a lot as a, uh, an emotional uh, program at this time. That's where I am. Maybe in two years or whatever from now, I'll be in another phase where I'm, you know, Mr. Spiritual or something, and I'm always in church or whatever it is. But right now, I'm, uh, emotions are at the forefront of my, of my mind. And, and I'm trying to train myself to sort of feel emotions and to have an emotion and to simply let an emotion sit and if if you've been you know like I have you've been all your life not letting yourself feel those emotions just letting food take over letting it letting it go to food instead of feeling then it's not easy at first you know and it takes a lot of faith to just feel those emotions and when I was new in program oh I was you know I was I was really I was into it I was I was going to a meeting like every day, and uh, and I was calling people. You know, I mean, I don't really do that as much anymore. I used to like you know get numbers off the list. It says take numbers off of the phone list and call people. I actually did that. You know, I actually believed that you were supposed to do that, and I did it. You know, and and I would bug everybody that I knew. I just call them and talk to them and talk about my feelings, and and I'd say, yeah, but I feel this. I wanted to prove to them that I'm different. You know, that I got feelings. Can you? Okay, yeah, you understand this, but can you understand this negative feeling? You know, and they always could. You know, we're all we're all we're all in this in this boat together. You know, and um, uh, there's no. It's really true. There is nothing that, that's going on in your head or my head that we haven't all heard before, you know. And um, for me, a big part of a big part of my recovery was doing my fourth step. I um, I I came to the program. I was I was very willing. I, mean, I was desperate. I had tried everything, you know. I had been to uh, you know I hadn't been to all these different diet places. I went to one because I thought. You know, I did research into which diet place is going to fix me, you know, because I knew I needed daily counseling. So I went to this place where you had to go there every day and get counseled, and they would tell you what to eat, and uh, you pay them money, of course. Um, and uh, and they give you some little pill that you have to take. In the, anyway, um, I tried that, and it didn't work. I mean, I suppose it would have worked, really, if I had been able to stick with it. Um, but I couldn't, you know. I mean... You know, when you go to a movie, you know, the, the, 
the movies are so bad and the popcorn is so good that, you know, you, you have, really have no choice but to just have at least a small popcorn, you know. And so anytime I saw a movie, that's it. My diet was out the window, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I was desperate. I mean, I realized that I needed help. You know, I realized I needed to come to this program. I, I had a psychologist tell me you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous because that, cause that is, research has shown that that's the thing that works, you know. Um, and, and so when I came in, I was desperate. I got a sponsor. I did my fourth step, you know, and he told me, you know, he came over. We did my fourth step in one day, and I shared my I shared my secrets with this guy, you know, um, uh, in one day. I, I, I had heard everybody talking about the fourth step. They told me that the fourth, you know, everybody says you write the fourth step over, you know, I'm working on my fourth step. Like it's something you write, like a novel or something. You spend many months writing your fourth step, and then when you decide you're ready, you give it away. And this guy said, okay, I'm coming over to your, to your house, and we're going to do your fourth step like in one day. You know, I'm gonna, I'll bring some stuff to read. I'll tell you what to write, then you write it down and read it to me. And I, I bought some reading material for, material for myself, so while you're writing, I'll just sit and quietly read. And, um, and I was terrified, but I did it. I agreed to do my fourth step. And I told him some secrets that I thought I was never going to tell anybody, you know. And like I said, the reaction, of course, is, you know, when I tell him my big secrets that are uh, things that I've done that are so horrible, you know, uh, his reaction is just, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, great, uh-huh, you know. Um, uh, and and um, and I these secrets, things that I had done. I thought I was going to take these secrets to the grave. You know, I was planning. That was my goal: was to just get to that point, grave, without having told anybody. You know? And the more I think of it, that was such a stupid plan. That's not. That's, that's not going to work. You know. Um, so. So I just, I shared it because I knew that those secrets had to come out. I knew that, that that pain had to come out, you know. And and after I did my fourth step that day, that was like, that was my only, uh, that was like my big God shot in program. I mean, that was the only time that I really felt, wow, God has just jumped down out of the sky and grabbed me and changed me, you know. Because um, the next day, so many things happened, and I found myself dealing with them in such a different way, you know, and I didn't even know it was happening. I, you know, I, all these things happened the next day. I lost my wallet, and I got locked out of my apartment, and, and it was just the worst day, you know, that I had had for a long time, and, and everything was different in the way that I dealt with it. This was the day after I'd done my fourth trip. Everything was different. I thought, oh, well, just because these things happen don't mean that I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a divine mistake, you know? Just because these things happen don't, doesn't mean that I, I should die, you know, or that I should kill myself. No, it just means I need to get a new wallet, you know, and I need to cancel my credit cards, that's all, you know? Um, but before, I, I, that shocked me that I could think in such a different way. I thought that, that if I lost my wallet, you know, uh, that I'm a, I'm a complete... You know, nobody. I'm a loser. I need to. I need to just hide away. But I was planning on going to a meeting that night. And my first thought was, well, I can't go to a meeting tonight because I lost my wallet. And there's going to be women at the meeting. How can I look a woman in the face? You know, when I lost my wallet. I mean, I can't. You know, I don't deserve to be. You know, out in public on the day that I've lost my wallet. You know. 
And um, for the first time in my life, I was clear on those feelings. That I had these feelings. They were not feelings that were that were necess- that were truth. They were just feelings, you know. And for the first time in my life, I realized that feelings are just feelings, you know. And that was like my very first experience with recovery, shall we say. I mean, my first experience, I suppose, was... Well, my first experience was the first step, which I like to say I did the first step before I came to program. You know, um, the first step to me is not a writing assignment. You know, the first step is not a... It's not a... It's not a whatever it is, whatever people tell you. The first step is that I, you know, I realized I was powerless over food. And so I spent maybe 20 years working on the first step, you know. I did my fourth step in one day, but I did my first step in 20 years because I was, I was, you know, I was out and I was trying all the different things. I was eating and I was using food every step of the way all the time to deal with my emotions. That was me doing my first step, you know, and promising myself that tomorrow I'm going to lose weight and, and finding that, that when tomorrow came, I couldn't. I couldn't go on a diet any more than I could yesterday, you know. Um, so after about 20 years of that, okay, starting in uh, childhood, you know, I realized that was, my, that was my first step, that 20 years of experimenting. That's step one, you know. Um, but... But that day after I did my fourth step, that was a big, that was my God shot part of recovery, you know, that I finally realized that feelings are just feelings, you know. And, uh, you know, without having gotten to that point, you know, this weight that I lost would never have come off, you know. Um, You know, it really isn't about the food. I don't even, I'm on no food plan. You know, my food plan is the just stop eating so damn much plan, you know. Um, You know, that, that is, and it's an excellent plan. And it's, it's, uh, it works pretty well, you know, and it's customizable also for your individual needs, you know. It's free. It doesn't cost anything, you know, and, and, uh. It's adjustable. It's it's really great, um, you know. And 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 the other thing is, I, you know, because it's not about food. I don't beat myself up over what I eat, you know. Well, actually, that's not true. I do, but not as much as I used to, you know. Um, um, you know, on my way here, in fact, I I. Oh, geez, should I talk about this? On my way here, I, I had lunch. I stopped and I had lunch, and I, I bought a, a little ice cream bar from the uh, shell across the street. And I ate half of it, and I thought, oh, this is stupid. I shouldn't be eating an ice cream bar on the way to a, a, an OA convention. <laughs> Jeez, so I threw the rest of it away, you know. And, and um, you know, I am not. I really cannot fight with food. This is, this is my absence. Don't fight with food, you know. I, when I fight with food, guess who loses? It ain't the food. It's always me. So, you know, if a craving for food comes, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give into it. I'm just gonna eat. You know, when I have a food craving, I eat. I am. I, I've given up on saying, Oh my God, I feel like having ice cream. Should I have it or should I not? Should I have it or should I not? You know, once I've gotten to that point, just forget. It. I'm gonna end up having it. So stop having the war. Just have the ice cream, and then figure out why. Why do I feel the need? Why am I? Why am I now today so spiritually disconnected that I feel this need to have ice cream all of a sudden when for the last three weeks I didn't, you know? And um, that's where recovery comes from, you know? Um, it says in the, somewhere in the big book, it says that, 
you know, recovery is, is a reshifting of all of our emotions, you know. We recoil from it as from a hot flame. It's not, I don't fight with food and go, okay, I'm not going to eat ice cream. I'm not going to eat ice cream. I don't do that. I don't, it doesn't occur to me 98% of the time to even have ice cream. Ice cream just being an example of many, a long list of other things that I could also have. Um, it's simply, it's simply that it doesn't occur to me most of the time. You know, that is, that it's more important to me to be healthy and to recover than to overeat, you know. And when I do need to overeat, I will because I'm a compulsive overeater. Why should I beat myself up over the fact that, that I feel the need to eat, you know. It says, first step, I'm powerless over food. So I don't fight with food anymore, you know. Um, that's a very important, uh, and that means that sometimes I'm going to eat more than I should and then I'm going to feel bad. But again, it's, it's, it's a matter of spiritual disconnectedness and emotional disconnectedness when I overeat. It's not, it's not because food's bad, you know. And, and I got friends that call me up and they say, oh, I had some cake. Oh, I feel so bad. I shouldn't have had the cake. You know, oh, why did I have the cake? Oh, you know. It's like, well, you're, you're a compulsive eater. That's why you had the cake. That's your job, you know. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to have cake. You're powerless over food, you know. Just stop kicking yourself and 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 work on the you know work on the other stuff you know and um um i brought some notes too let's see if i I covered everything um yeah body image is the last thing i guess i can say is that you know it's it's uh this part of thing there is nothing that i'm not a part of i'm a part of because i decide that i am you know it's like this idea in my head, which I've had from childhood, I don't know where it came from, but you know, it's a strange, it's a strange thing that I, that I've always felt that way, that I'm different than everything else and everybody else, you know, and and I feel like a, I feel like a spy sometimes, you know, in the world of thin people, you know, because I was always fat, I was always an outsider. I got to the point even where I was, where I was, you know, unable to even go in pub, go out in public and now I walk through the walk down the streets, I'll walk into a place, I'll walk into the mall, I'll walk into a bar, I'll walk down the street and I'll think, okay, so this is what it's like, huh? So this is what it's like to be one of them. Look at that. I'm, I'm in disguise, you know. That's how I feel sometimes. So is that my time though? Okay, well thank you very much. Um, let's give another round of applause to Scott and Jamal. Okay. Um, we'll now have questions from the Ask It Basket. Yeah, where is the Ask It Basket? Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, This is a question for both. As I approached the century mark, I got afraid and started gaining some weight back. Did you have that experience? And if so, how did you deal with it? Thank you. Who wants to go first? Oh, uh, okay. Hi, I'm Jamal, a compulsive reader again. Hi, Jamal. 
Okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood the question at first. I thought, century? Well, that person's old. I, okay, you mean, 100, you mean you lost 100 pounds. Um, yes, I did gain weight. I got down to, if you want numbers, a lot of people like numbers. I got down to 173 pounds, and uh, I was looking really, I don't know if I was looking good. I was looking very thin, but, um, and I gained a lot of weight. from. The, I never got anywhere close to the, the weight that I was at the beginning, the 400 pounds or whatever it was, but I... Um, yeah, I gained weight, and, you know, it's like, I really believe in looking at the big picture, you know, I really believe in looking at, at where I've been, I've been in program 11 and a half years, and I've, you know, I have my story to tell, and I, I am what I am, and, and it's way, way better than what I was, Let, you know, let's look at the big picture, so I ate a little more than I should have yesterday or the day before, so I did this when I shouldn't have, so I gained five or 20 pounds, well, I haven't gained 200 pounds back, you know, um, and yeah, we go through phases, I went through a phase where I wasn't going to any meetings hardly at all, you know, and um, and the programs here, the meetings have always been, when I stopped going to the meetings, they, they didn't just stop having the meetings because I wasn't there, <laughs> you know, uh, they're always here, so it's the same program when you first come in or when you've been in for 20 years, it's the same exact program. So. Thank you. Scott? Okay. Uh, I'll let you answer the next one because it doesn't have anybody's name on it. Which parts of your body have you had surgery on for loose skin? <laughs> Did you have them done all at once? <clears throat> uh, hi, I'm Scott. I'm a compulsive reader. Um, the... Um, Okay, so I had, I'll just, I'll, I'll answer the question. I had um, an abdominoplasty, which removed the, tightened up the skin on my abdomen and on my back. Um, I had a lot of loose skin around, around my torso, so I have an incision that goes completely around my waist and a vertical incision on my belly. Um, it looks like they uh, cut off the bottom half of me and stuck a new one on. <laughs> That um, tightened the abdominal uh, skin on the abdominals and uh, lifted my butt, which was a nice little uh, thing. And um, I also had some, uh, they took in the sides of my chest because I had rather large um, uh, chest. And uh, I'll, I, there's a couple of questions in there about it, so I'll just answer them briefly. Um, it was expensive. It didn't hurt as bad, much as I thought it would. Um, I had done a lot of uh, physical, you know, exercise and stuff like that, so they didn't have to, you know, sometimes they'll actually tighten up the muscles themselves. Um, they didn't have to do that with me, so the recovery was a lot easier because it was just the skin that was healing. Um, uh, it was four weeks ago that I had it, so I'm up and moving around pretty well. Um, had a little infection, but that went away. And uh, the scars are um, just another thing that I'm going to have to work on accepting because let me tell you, not that my body looks perfect. <laughs> you know, I've removed some skin, and, and I have some rather interesting scars, and I'm still, you know, saggy in some places, and, you know, whatever it is. But um, Thank you. Jamal, how do you work your program on a daily basis? How do I work on a daily basis, you ask? Um, 
Well, I, what do I do? Well, I don't overeat most of the time, and sometimes I do. Um, you know, I make, I do the basic stuff. I make phone calls. I, I don't have a regular routine. Like sometimes, sometimes I think maybe I should or I'm supposed to. I don't know. This today, I don't have a regular routine. I don't, I don't, you know, do 20 minutes of writing before I get up. I, I can't really operate that way. But I, you know, I, I write sometimes. You know, if something, if something comes up, it's, it's sort of, it, I guess it's sort of ad hoc it's sort of as I need it you know I do what I need to do you know and if something comes up and I need to write about it I write about it you know I use the tools I don't have a particular tool which I do this tool every day at this time but you know I use the tools I do writing I make phone calls I talk to OA people on the phone all the time you know um, I, I basically I use the tools almost all of them thank you Um, how did you work on your self-love and body image? Who wants to answer that? Okay. Um, I think I talked a lot about that in in my share. Um, I guess uh, mostly uh, through working uh, the program, and maybe I'll just talk. Maybe I'll answer Jamal's question actually. <laughs> how I how I work my program. Um, I, uh, um, in order to, in order to deal with, you know, shame and body image stuff is I've just had to work, work the steps and, and work them on a daily basis, um, as best I can. Um, my sponsor recommends, uh, the written 10 step. Um, I try to do that, um, as best I can. Um, when I'm on a roll, I do it every day and good stuff happens, um, then sometimes it slips through my fingers and I find that I haven't written for a week or two and then things start to back up on me and um, occasionally I fall in a hole. <laughs> and it takes a little while to get out of. Um, I, uh, you know, I find that, that, that when, I, when I do that, when, I, when my program starts to lag a little bit, then um, I'll really start to beat myself up because I'm always trying to motivate myself by beating myself up. Um, it never works, um, so I have to talk to, to people in program and hear their own experience. Um, you know, I went to a meeting, I go to a lot of meetings, I go to four, four or five meetings a week. Um, I, use, I use all the tools as best I can. Um, I was at a meeting recently with a bunch of old long-timers, and it was really great to hear all these people with 10, 15, 20 years of abstinence who have the same issues that I do you know, with self-love and self-acceptance, you know. I mean, that's, that's one of the great things, I think, is um, humility, right? And realizing that I'm not unique in this not being able to accept myself stuff, you know. It feels so unique. It's like you just don't understand I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Well, that's in a room full of compulsive overeaters, and they'll all tell you they don't feel good enough, and then you can have a contest to see who's the least worthy. <laughs> You know, I'll wrestle you for it. Thank you. How do you deal with the realization that you don't know anything about the person in the mirror? 
how do you deal with the realization that you don't know anything about the person in the mirror? Well, it's never too late to learn. You see, you simply make a determination that it's time to learn a little bit about the person in the mirror. I mean, you know, there's really not that much to know, it turns out. I'm, I'm basically a human. I have emotions. I have needs. I have desires. And they're not really that different than those of anybody else, you know. And, um, uh, you know, I... I I spent so much time trying to be something other than what I am. I'm, I'm finally now in a place where I realize that, that what I am is all I need to be, you know, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that sounds too philosophical or whatever, but, but you know, um, that, that, you know, it's, 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 you know, like I said, when I first came and I, I was dealing with emotions, it, it took practice, you know, it takes practice, but to deal with those emotions but after a while we learn how to deal with those emotions you know and I learn about where I get triggered and what my buttons are and what what are the things that cause me pain and what are the things that help me avoid it and and you know you learn that but I think the, the first step is is not going to the food immediately you know once I go to the food then I can't really learn that at all so but the learning about myself and that person in the mirror, as you put it, it comes once I decide that I'm going to work the program, once I decide I'm going to do those steps, and once I decide that I'm going to try to deal with those things in another way than food. Food is really easy. It's just so easy to go to it. It's so comforting. It's so simple, you know. And learning about oneself takes time, effort, and it's painful. But, but it's a good way to, it's a good food plan. It's a good way to stay off of the food. So, thank you. Um, this is a great question. I um, am stunned by the person that I see in the mirror. Um, I spend a lot of time, Jamal, looking in the mirror, too. <laughs> Especially these big mirrors in the hotel. Wow. <laughs> uh, there's a, a line in the song in the soundtrack to Hedwig and the Angry Inch that says, with all the changes you've been through, um, the stranger's always you. It seems the stranger is always you. And that is true. It's like, who am I? You know? <sighs> because I'm not the sum total of my mistakes, which is frequently what I think or what I thought, you know? And, you know, thank God for the fourth step and being able to give all those mistakes away to God. Um, I, the thing to do is just keep showing up. Uh, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I'm going to be. You know, I offer myself to thee to do with me as thou wilt. You know, it's up to, it's up to God. I'm glad for the opportunity um, to be out of the house, out of the food, and in the world. And just who I will be, you know, at the end of the day is who I will be. And um, I am glad that I have a spiritual program um, that gives me some guideposts on how to be a good person to myself and other people. Thank you. I think the level of shame that comes with being a hundred pounder is powerful. Does the shame go away with the weight automatically or did you have to work at it? Uh, the shame, does it go away, the shame of being a hundred pounder? Yeah, the shame of actually being a hundred pounder goes away, you know. 
for me, like I said, I, I felt like a, you know, I, I still feel like a spy. Like I, I, I walk through their circles, you know, I just, I walk amongst them and they don't even know, you know, they don't even know that I'm, I'm from this planet, not that one, you know. Um, and, and yeah, I can, I can, um, I, I feel, you know, physically I feel very comfortable when I talk to somebody. Because, yeah, when I was a hundred pounder, I thought, I thought, oh, you know, it's like this person is reacting, reacting to me because I am fat. You know, this person is thinking that. On some level, it's affecting their perception of me. Or they're just thinking it outright. Boy, what a fat guy. This is, you know, yeah, that always comes up. Now I know when I talk to somebody, they're, uh, they're not thinking that. But shame in general, oh, no, that doesn't go away. You know, I heard it best. I have to, I don't know, I don't remember who said this. Somebody very clever said that, you know, if you weigh, you know, if you weigh 200 pounds, if you're 200 pounds overweight and people don't like you, well, it's the fat. If you're a normal weight and people don't like you, it's you. <laughs> and, um, and that's pretty much, so, so then you find out that there's, there's more. There's, there's, there's plenty of other things to feel shame about, it turns out. So, thank you. Okay, this will be the last question, and I'd like to have both speakers answer this. How do you become comfortable with sex when your body is so repulsive? Scott, first. <clears throat> One of those questions everybody wonders about nobody wants to ask. Well, first off, your body isn't repulsive. Um, um, I think a real good thing to do is make sure you have the right sexual partner. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, have sex with people who care about you and who love you and who treat you with respect and dignity. You know, and then turn the lights off and go to town. <laughs> But um, I'm, glad, I'm glad to have the opportunity, because uh, I forgot to talk a little bit about this. Um, when I, uh, that was one thing that is really surprising me, and I see it a lot in a lot of my friends who are in the program losing weight. Um, boy, about six months into that, I got really horny. And there's something, you know, it's like all the blood starts flowing again to all this. And it feels really good, and I just wanted to rub up against somebody really badly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> And I just want to say that, um, uh, you know, I mentioned that I'd fallen in love with someone, and I got, got, went, went out and got my little heart broken, and um, had sex for the first time in like seven or eight years. Um, this, as my sponsor repeated, screams to me over the phone sometimes every day this is why people leave the rooms um, this is hard stuff um, go slow take your time um, work hard program be prepared to work hard program um, dating and sex and all that stuff is really wonderful but be prepared to work because nothing has tested me harder than falling in love Boy, that is one chemical that I can, you know, I don't have any. Talk about powerlessness. Very powerful. I thought I was going to call it come unglued. And um, so I had to work hard program around it. But it's worth it because it, um, I learned things about myself from being in relationships, from having my heart broken, that I didn't know. 
and of course one of the best things is is that I learned that I could go through some really hard stuff and not eat over it and thank you God for that because I think just like Jamal says is you know when I don't turn to the food every time I don't turn to the food it's an opportunity to learn you know and um, I learned a lot from from hard times and staying abstinent so thanks What, uh, can you repeat the question? Sure. <laughs> uh, I lost the question. How do we deal with sex, sex when your body, your body is, is so repulsive? So repulsive. Right. Oh, we're out of time, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, um, well, let me just say that uh, I'll try to keep this out of the gutter. So let me just say that, um, you know, what they say, what all the psychologists say about the most powerful sex organ is your mind, you know, and like Scott said, whatever's going on in here reflects what goes on in there, you know. Um, it, it's, it's just an, an extension of the same problem, and, you know, if I have a disease, if I have problems dealing with people, I'm going to have problems in that area, too, and, and I do, so I do, you know. Um, um, and the other thing is we, it's, it, you know, people are not, and I know they, they say that women have this problem more than men, but I, I don't know if it's true or not. They, they say that, um, you know, women especially are very affected by the images we see in the media, right? I mean, when you see a guy on TV, when you see a guy in the movies, you know, taking his shirt off, he's always so muscular and perfect. He has no extra skin at all around his abdomen, you know. No stretch marks, nothing. He's all muscular, he's perfect, and I'm sitting there eating popcorn, you know. And, um, uh, and you know, the, the, I think in the real world, we don't really have to look like that, you know. Um, we think we do, and we think, okay, I'm really... I don't belong, I should just go move to another planet because I don't look like that, you know. And the truth is that, that people of all weights and of all amounts of extra skin fall in love with each other, you know. And, um, and like I said, the, the, the most powerful sex organ is your, is your mind. So, uh, 